The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi, folks. Welcome to another film study. This is Ken McCusick. 
We're here today for the Know Your Foe episode this week with a game coming up against the Titans. Joining us today is Mike Herndon, my friend, friend of the show for a while now. I've been on a couple of these previous episodes, right, Mike? Yeah, I think this is uh, our third, I believe. Yeah, I think that's correct. We, before the playoff game and then before another regular season game. We're glad to have you here, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about this matchup. Obviously, a couple teams that looked great about three weeks ago have each run into their own separate problems. And, uh, and let's talk through a little bit about that. So first of all, Mike, where, where can folks find your work and uh, your tweets and whatnot? Yeah, so that's changed since the last time I was on with you guys. I'm now with uh, broadwaysportsmedia.com, uh, local, uh, locally owned uh, media company here in Nashville, Tennessee, covering all Nashville pro sports, including uh, and focusing on Titans, but also including Nashville Predators and Nashville SC uh, and maybe a baseball team to come at some point uh, if uh, what we're hearing down here is uh, accurate. So um, let's just say I hope that's not the Orioles. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's uh, there's there is a big group here that's been put together with a lot of pretty large names attached to it now, and so the rumors are maybe the Rays, maybe an expansion team, but it sounds like Nashville will be in the baseball business in the relatively near future, which is kind of exciting. All right. Well, I hope they I hope they get one. I hope they don't steal it from Baltimore. We've been very fearful of of that being lost. Obviously, the success of the team being an issue, but that's a, that's for another podcast. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, let's let's talk about the Titans right now. And the off season is always where I like to start in terms of big acquisitions uh, and the draft. Yeah. So the biggest acquisition for the Titans, obviously, is Jadavian Clowney. Um, they didn't do a ton in free agency until just that, that addition right before the season, uh, before the clowny edition, really the biggest ad was, was Vic Beasley, who they've already released uh, after getting a grand total of three tackles and zero <laughs> sacks out of him for nine and a half million dollars. Uh, good work if you can get that. Um, but uh, they really, their off season was more about keeping the core intact than it was about adding. And, and that was really always going to be the case. They had to figure out something to do with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, as well as, uh, you know, figuring out a, a long-term solution or, or at least figuring out a solution at right tackle. Um, a lot of people thought they'd try to bring Jack Conklin back. They ended up choosing to go with Dennis Kelly, who is Conklin's backup, and then draft uh, a player to kind of pair with him and, and kind of be the right tackle of the future in Isaiah Wilson. Uh, the draft pick has not <laughs> gone terribly well either, so... I, you know, John Robinson has done an excellent job here as Titans general manager, and he's put together what I consider to still be one of the more talented rosters in the NFL from top to bottom. But it's hard to really look at this offseason as anything but a swing and a miss right now. Um, Clowney still has yet to put put out a sack for in a Titans uniform. Um, he does get a lot of pressure. He does do things. He's very disruptive. But he's not getting home. He's not making the game-changing type plays that you pay a guy $13 million to make. Um, so Good run defender? He, he is a good run defender. Now, he's prone, and, and this was especially the case early on, he's prone to gambling and getting out of position. He likes to shoot those inside gaps. That's where he's most effective. And he will occasionally shoot an inside gap and, and give you an edge uh, on the, to the outside. So... He can be taken advantage of when he gets over aggressive like that, but he is very disruptive. He's very—he's he's a difficult block. It's really what he is. He's violent. He plays hard. Um, you know, he's—he's he's a tough guy to handle physically. So it's an all-day kind of deal with him. But he's also dealing with a knee injury now, so it's—it's it's unclear exactly how 
uh, I guess close to 100% he'll be. I know he's not going to be 100%. It's a meniscus issue. They actually considered doing a trim or maybe even season-ending surgery uh, a couple weeks ago and decided to, I guess, just kind of let him play through it. And, um, you know, obviously I think it's going to be something that nags him probably for the rest of the season and he'll probably get it cleaned up in the offseason likely. But uh, he's he's played pretty well against the Colts and, and that was after the injury. So I, I think he's still a problem, but he's just not the – he hasn't made the huge plays that, that you'd like to see when you spend that kind of money. Right. All right, Michael, one of the things I always like to hit on, and you mentioned that the top-to-bottom talent on this Titans roster is the third- and fourth-year players because those players, as they mature into their second contract, if they're in the third year, maybe you can get them a year earlier, get them at a little bit of a discount. If they're in their fourth year, you're kind of worried about who you're going to lose in free agency. Let's talk about that group. And the fourth-year players, I don't know who actually has been signed out of this group, but Corey Davis and Adoree Jackson really stand out. Yeah, Corey Davis, uh, they did not pick up his fifth-year option. Uh, With him being a top-ten pick and the way the the fifth-year options work and and at wide receiver, he was going to command like a $16 million one-year salary. And he's been a good receiver for them, but he has not been anywhere close to a $16 million receiver. So it made sense for them to decline it. There's still some uh, thought that they may try to re-sign him after the season if he's willing to come back. I get the feeling he's probably not. Um, frankly, A.J. Brown usurped his number one wide receiver role uh, last year, and that's continued this year, really. Uh, and and I don't think Davis is going to want to play second fiddle in a run-first offense uh, mm-hmm. when he has a choice in free agency. So I, I think he's probably gone. They did exercise a Dory Jackson's fifth-year option, so he'll be back in 2021. And... Um, he hasn't played yet this year. So he suffered a knee injury on the Friday practice before their opener against Denver. And we have not seen him since. It's been kind of a weird saga. Uh, he got des- designated to return opening the 20 day, 21 day practice window uh, about, I guess it's been four weeks ago now. He returned, had five straight practices and then missed a practice, then came back for another practice, and then missed the next, I think, four or five practices. And finally, they ended up activating him off of IR. So he is on the 53-man active roster, but the injury report just came out today, and he did not practice again. So it does not. I, I would not anticipate him playing, which is a huge blow for them. Um, he's their best cover corner, their most athletic uh, defender, really. Um and, and the guy that matches up best against speed. And, and if you remember last year in the playoff game, Adoree Jackson had a phenomenal game against the Ravens. I mean, he may, he did get beat once on uh, on that long pass to Marquise Brown. Um, I think it was maybe right before the half. But besides that, he had, I think, three or four pass breakups, and he was really good in coverage the rest of the way. So he's, being he's without definitely the cornerback that we look at and fear most when we when we think of the Titans. That's for sure. Yeah, he, he's he's their best. Uh, Butler's played well this year, but he is not the the athlete that Jackson is. So um, the longer they continue to be without Jackson, I, I think the worse it is. Because frankly, the, it's a black hole for them right now. That that ex that other outside corner spot opposite Butler. They they tried a few different guys in there. Nobody's played particularly well. Um, 
And it limits what they're willing to do from a coverage standpoint. They frankly just don't run a whole lot of man coverage this year, even though I know that's what they would prefer to do based on previous years, because they don't trust the other corner besides Butler uh, to hold up in man coverage. So it, it's really been a crippling injury for this defense. And it's I, I think it's one of the biggest reasons that their defense has underperformed this year. Okay, well, that makes sense. The Ravens obviously having a lot of similar problems right now are extremely short in the secondary, although the players they have left are at least good is one of the things. Let's look at the right. Titans roster. There's two more players in the third year I really wanted to ask you about as far as early extensions go. Is either Anthony, Anthony Ferkser or Harold Landry a guy that they would extend early? Um, I don't see either one probably as an early extension guy. Ferkser, uh, you know, he was kind of a, an interesting guy that just kind of came onto their roster. Um, he had been with the Chiefs. He had been with the Jets on the practice squad. Uh, he played some fullback, and then he he came here and, and went to tight end. And he's been phenomenal for them. As, and frankly, he's really kind of a third down tight end is really his role. He comes mm -hmm. on the field almost every third down. He is, and especially if Adam Humphreys doesn't play for a third straight week, he is their go-to guy on third down. So, I could see kind of a modest extension for him. Um, Landry Landry has played well. I, I think they like Harold Landry. He plays really hard. He does what they ask him to do. He's a great teammate, great team guy. But he still, you know, three years in, has not developed that, you know, change up to his fastball, which is his speed dip and rip move off the edge. And, and mm -hmm. against more slow-footed tackles who can't get out and can't overset out to get to him, he can still be a huge problem uh, for opposing offenses. He had a great game against the Bears just a few weeks ago, but he just doesn't have that inside move. He doesn't have that counter off of that speed rush, and that really hurts him, especially against more athletic tackles that can match him step-for-step uh, step on the edge and push him past. I think that'll be a really interesting uh, matchup then for the Ravens. Obviously, they've got some slow-footedness without Ronnie Stanley. Uh, Orlando Brown definitely relies on that 12-6 to 6 push, as I call it, getting that, getting that uh, defender past the pocket with his length more than being able to get in front of him with his feet. And they, I don't know if you just heard, but they had DJ Fluker at, left tack, at right tackle, and he lost his job after, at the half in this last game, and they replaced oh him goodness. with a guy with 30-inch arms. At, oh at uh, right tackle. So, you know, you don't hear this, but that's Patrick McCary. So uh, uh, let's continue on here. This is some great stuff. Long run cap situation for the Titans. Now, I remember the last offseason, this was a big topic and the Titans were in cap hell and they couldn't possibly sign Henry and Tannehill, but they found the money. Yeah. And, and they're in OK uh, spot right now, I think, heading in the next offseason. They paid Henry. They paid Tannehill. Their core is is essentially set um, for the next few years. They currently, I think, are you know somewhere in the middle of the pack. I, I want to say around 16th in available cap space for heading into next year. But of course, with the uncertainty around the cap and what's going to happen with the COVID revenue shortfalls and everything like that, I think everybody's going to be a little bit tight. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason to see what happens in free agency, what kind of dollars are out there for guys. Their biggest free agents are going to be Daquan Jones, kind of run-stopping defensive linemen. Uh, Johnu Smith may be the mm -hmm. biggest uh, of the free agents, and and he's he's a guy that I think they're they're going to prioritize. I think he's the number one priority to bring back for this uh, front office this offseason. 
And then Jayon Brown, the uh, the athletic coverage linebacker, is is kind of the those are the three big ones. Obviously, Clowney is going to be a free agent again. They cannot franchise tag him. They gave him that assurance when they signed him. So I don't. I frankly just don't expect Clowney to be back next year. I think it was a one year deal, um, and he hasn't done enough to this point to make me think that they're just going to bend over backwards to try to bring him back either. So. Um, my guess is is they prioritize it, Jonu Smith, and then maybe Daquan Jones, and then Jayon Brown, as it stands right now. Although Jayon Brown, his, his play has gone way up and way down, and at his very best, he can be one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL, but he's had a rough year, as has his partner in crime, Rashawn Evans, this year. All right, fair enough. Mike, I need to take care of some business here for a second. Between the NFL, college ball, and Major League Baseball, that will be Major League Baseball coming up. There's no shortage of games to watch, and with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the favorites, consider putting a parlay in for a much bigger payout. If you like the underdogs, there's value there as well. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Sign up for my bookie, and when you do, this is important, folks, Use our promo code, Ravens, R-A-V-E-N-S, you probably know how to spell Ravens, I'm hoping, to claim a deposit match, dollar for dollar, all the way up to $1,000. Put in 1000 they give you 2000 in your account. I have rarely seen that kind of advantage play opportunity in many years of gambling, and that's a, that's a great uh, uh, way to get started, way to get a head start on a uh, long season, give you a, give you a uh, hopefully at least some extended life with your money, even if you uh, uh, can't uh, can't make a profit. But anyway, uh, stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets. I think those are probably all done now, and all the major sports are there. Sign up today with my bookie. Anyway, we'll get back to the Ravens and Titans here for a second, and the next thing I want to talk about is the injury report. Long one for the Titans today. Yeah, so uh, Jadavian Clowney, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, Adoree Jackson, Chris Jackson, Ben Jones, Laurel Murchison, Michael Pruitt, and Roger Saffold were all DNPs. Um, out of that group, Davis was not injury-related. I believe he was uh, back home in Michigan attending his brother's funeral, who um, tragically passed of cancer uh, the day before the Colts game uh, last week, so... Um, he'll play uh, Sunday, so uh, there's nothing to worry about there as far as performance um, with him. Uh, Clowney, I fully expect to play. They've been giving him days off, as I mentioned, to, to kind of uh, help him with that meniscus injury. So I fully expect him to play without any issue. Um, the question marks really are, you know, Roger Saffold, Adoree Jackson, and Adam Humphreys to me. Um, those are, are kind of the three that I would keep my eye on. Uh, ben Jones finished the game against the Colts. I don't suspect that he's going to – he almost never misses games, frankly. So I, I would expect him to be out there. Saffold rolled his ankle pretty good in that game. Mm -hmm. My guess is he tries to give it a go um, if he can. You know, 10 days off helps him a little bit there, but – they the Titans are in a bad way if they don't have Roger Saffold on that offensive line uh, Sunday. So um, he's he's another one to watch. And then Adam Humphreys, who's still dealing with the concussion from that uh, really scary and dangerous hit from uh, Jesse Bates uh, when they played the Bengals a few weeks ago. Uh, he's he had a pretty bad concussion, and you know obviously with concussions, there's no telling uh, when he may be back um, on, uh, on on the field. So. 
I suspect he probably misses again, but he's um, uh, he's he's a critical part of their third down offense as well. So he, he's a big miss if he does. All miss. right. Well, the, the, the Ravens certainly have a ton of injury problems of their own defensive backfield and offensive line now in particular. Uh, you know, I don't want to say misery loves company, but it would be even more uh, demoralizing to have the Titans come into this game with a really clean sheet of uh, injuries at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, frankly, the, the Titans have – this is the third straight team really with, with offensive line – or I guess – Three out of the last four weeks, they've played teams now with, with kind of offensive line question marks. The Bears were really scattered at the offensive line when they played them uh, a few weeks ago, and they were able to take advantage of that. Uh, the Bengals were in the same spot. The Bengals actually had zero of their five opening day starters playing on the offensive line when they played them a few weeks ago, and the Titans were not able to take advantage of that. So um, it's kind of a mixed bag, and, and frankly, if you're going to have offensive line issues, the Titans are not a bad offense, are not a bad team to be playing that week, honestly. Oh, really? Oh, right, offensive line. Yes, I understand. Defensive yeah. line, that would not be the same thing. And unfortunately, the Ravens have problems there <laughs> as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. If Brandon Williams and uh, Clay's Campbell can't go, that that's now it could be offset a little bit if Roger Saffold doesn't play for the Titans, but the Titans. Um, especially the interior of that offensive line is really strong um, and has been playing really good football this year. So uh, if, if those two interior guys can't go, then, then that's a big advantage for the Titans. Yeah, I sure would think so. Well, let's go to the offense a little bit and talk through that. Uh, we'll start with Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I guess his future is fairly well set now in Tennessee with the new contract. Talk, talk about his strengths and weaknesses a little bit. Yeah, so Tannehill, interesting case, obviously, coming over uh, after after kind of flaming out in Miami. I don't, I don't know that a lot of it, if you look really back at it, injuries, coaching, there's a lot of reasons that you can kind of explain away what happened with him in, in uh, Miami. But I also think if you asked him, he would probably tell you, well, he's playing better football now than he was then. Um, and the, the year, or you know, not even a year, the six games where he sat behind Marcus Mariota kind of helped him. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say focus, but... I guess it helped him uh, appreciate his spot as a starter and, and what it means to be a starter and, and kind of not taking that for granted and, and maybe playing with a little bit more edge now than he was prior to having to be, uh, you know, a backup for a little bit. So um, I think his fit in the offense is is really strong. He's accurate, strong arm, mobile enough. Like he, he's not, uh, he's not Lamar Jackson, obviously, but he, he does run uh, and he'll, he'll take off and he's certainly a threat on bootleg. So if you, if you leave him on a, on a boot, he, he has no problem taking off and running and he's picked up some pretty good chunks doing that in the last couple years. So um, he's definitely got, you know, the full tool set. Now where he struggled in the past has been, he doesn't have great pocket awareness. He doesn't move great in the pocket or, or avoid rushes. So there, there's some quarterbacks, you know, Deshaun Watson's one of them, Russell Wilson's one of them, where you can have them dead to rights in the pocket and they'll still squirrel out of that thing and, and go make a play on you. Ryan Tannehill isn't going to do that. If you get him dead to rights in the pocket, he's going down. Um, he doesn't break tackles. He's That's just not his, his game. So that's been a problem in the past, but the Titans have actually had their sacks way down this year compared to last. And, and I think Tannehill has done a good job, and I think it's been a focus of his, finding safe places to dump the football when mm -hmm. it's not there. 
And that's something he's never done in the past. It's something that's new this year, but his, his throwaway numbers are way up this season. Um, and I think that's a sign of him maturing in the offense and them giving him uh, places to go with the ball if he gets pressure. So, you know, the Titans obviously with no Taylor Lewan and, and Dennis Kelly's just a replacement level right tackle. They're not as strong on the edges as they were last year uh, as far as an offensive line. So I think they, they focused on, you know, keeping a strong middle, giving him a pocket to step up into. And then if he doesn't have it, he just dumps it and, and gets, gets on to the next play. And he's done a nice job with that. And it's, it's helped limit his mistakes. Yeah. Tannehill uh, is now the fourth consecutive quarterbacks that Ravens defense will have faced that basically either never passed or got rid of the ball very quickly. But uh, Rivers, you know, immobile quarterback, but but completed 14 passes behind the line of scrimmage. It was screen, 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 all basically day long. Uh, the the Steelers boldly went empty against the Ravens consistently with four wide receivers, but that was to get a matchup against the fourth defensive back the Ravens could put out there, which was a practice squad guy, Terrell Bonds, and they just ate him alive uh, during the game as well as the inside linebackers. And then Cam Newton, of course, in this last game, didn't didn't end up throwing the ball very much at all. A lot of play action. Uh, when he did throw the ball, he was effective, but, but it was a lot of uh, run plays, and they only ended up sacking him once. So the Ravens only had two sacks in the last three weeks. They're a highly scheme-based rush that I think could take advantage of a quarterback like Tannehill, but the other weapons that Tennessee presents may just be too much. Yeah, and the Titans are going to be extremely heavy play action when they do pass. Um, they they love, you know, they're, they're the Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan tree offense. It's outside zone left, outside zone right, play action boot, play action shot. It's it's that mix of plays, and it really, you know, it's it's all designed to put your inside linebackers basically get their head spinning. And I know the Ravens have some relatively young inside <laughs> linebackers, yes. so it'll be interesting to see how they react uh, to all the misdirection that the Titans are going to throw at them because they, they really will throw the full book at you. I mean, they, they, and they've got counters off their counters off their counters, and, and they're really good at it because uh, they've been doing it now for, for a few years. They've, this is the third year in this offense. Uh, it's obviously the second year under Arthur Smith, and basically – the entire group that was here last year is back this year. So as far as like limited practice time in the off season, didn't affect this offense quite as much as it did some of the others around the league uh, when it comes to kind of being able to advance their scheme uh, during the off season. All right. Take us across the offensive line player by player and tell us who the Titans are likely to have Sunday and what they bring to the table. Yeah. So left tackle will be Ty Sambrello, who is a, I think it's his sixth year uh, in the league. He was a former second round pick for the Broncos, washed out there pretty quickly, uh, went to Atlanta, played a couple years there, and then ended up, uh, they dra- they drafted over him uh, a couple years ago when they took um, uh, the McGarry kid from Michigan. Um, so he kind of found found himself a spot where he could be a swing tackle for the Titans. They signed him before the draft, so I, I think he they went they wanted to go into the draft with some flexibility. So he was kind of the guy they planned on being the swing tackle behind uh, Dennis Kelly and Taylor Lewan this season. Obviously, with Lewan going down with a torn ACL a few weeks ago, Sambrello is now the starter. And the reports are uh, or the reports around the trade deadline were that the Titans were talking to the Vikings about Riley Reif. Uh, their left tackle, and they didn't end up getting something done. But I think that it's pretty clear if you watch what they've done over the last few weeks from a protection standpoint 
uh, and chips and, and tight end help and, and things like that scheme wise to protect both of the tackles, honestly, that they don't fully trust those guys. And it's really kind of limiting what Johnny Smith can do. It's limiting what they can do as far as, you know, just their full passing attack. Um, now, they've played really tough defenses recently as well since uh, Taylor Lewan went down. Basically, Taylor Lewan went down and the Titans got the pleasure of uh, introducing their new left tackle to the Steelers. So that's mm-hmm. always a, a great, uh, you know, easy, easy start for a guy that hasn't played a whole lot in his career. But uh, Sambrello's played OK, honestly. He, he hasn't been a huge weak spot. He is a good run blocker, frankly. Um, he's not as good in pass protection, does need help there, but he's going to be the guy. Uh, you can beat him. In fact, Yanni Kingakwe, who I would expect to be lined up against him quite a bit, has already beaten him for a sack, a strip sack this year. Uh, yes, that's so right. He uh, he saw him earlier this year and, and didn't have a good time. So uh, that's that's a, a probably the weakest spot on the Titans' offensive line. Um, although, if the next guy over, Roger Saffold, doesn't play. I think that becomes your, your weakest spot because uh, Saffold, if he does play and, and is healthy enough to be effective, uh, has played at borderline all-pro level so far this year. He's a fantastic run blocker. Uh, really does well getting out into the second level and picking off linebackers and, and really creating those cutback lanes for Derrick Henry. Um He's really good player. Now he can be beat in pass protection. He's not as good of a pass protector as he is a run blocker, but he's played really well when he's been out there. So they they need him. If he doesn't play, it'll be Jamil Douglas, who's kind of a journeyman backup, uh, former fourth round pick for the Dolphins. He's been with the team for a few years. Has mostly been bad when he's played, and and he played uh, right guard for the Titans last season when they played the Jaguars in Jacksonville. And he got a full dose of Clay's Campbell and Clay's Campbell had, I think three sacks in that game. Uh, and he, they, they Jaguars went out of their way to put Clay's Campbell over Jamil Douglas almost every snap. And he just ate his lunch. So right. I, I think if Jamil Douglas plays and uh, Clay's Campbell plays, the Titans are in for a long day there. Yeah, I don't think Calais Campbell's going to play. I don't think you have to worry about that. But going back to Saffold for a second, didn't seem to have a very good game against Indianapolis. And I know they have Gruber Stewart and DeForest Buckner yes. uh, who, who might line up against him. Who, who kind of took him to the woodshed? Yeah, so it really was uh, Buckner that, that gave him the most trouble. And Buckner gives a lot of guys trouble, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but Saffold hurt his ankle in that game. I think it was relatively early on, too. So... But he came back in, tried to play through it for a little bit, ended up going back out. So I don't know, you know, how much of that was the ankle bothering him. And he'd been dealing with a shoulder injury from the week before as well. So he's been a little bit banged up these last couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say if you're going to beat Saffold, length is really the the way that you beat him. Um, he matches up fine with power. Uh, he's He's good against good athletes. But length kind of bothers him, and that's really true of the Titans' other guard too, Nate Davis on the on the right side, um, who is a. We can kind of skip over Ben Jones. Ben Jones is center. He's kind of like your try-hard guy. He gets the offensive line in the right calls. He's he's good at organizing the group. Uh, he's not a terribly good athlete. He's not terribly strong, but he gets in the way. He knows where he's supposed to be. He knows how to get there. He's a gamer. Um, he does a good job for them, um, both in pass protection and run blocking. He's he's solid. Um, but 
right guard Nate Davis, the second-year guy, he is a guy that I'm really excited about, was absolutely dreadful last year early on when they tried to play him as a rookie. And really, they had almost no choice. They didn't have any other good options on the roster. Jamil Douglas was flailing uh, when they tried to start him early in the season, so they moved on to the rookie, and he was absolutely terrible. But as the season went on, he kind of clicked, and by the time the Titans reached the playoffs and were kind of entering that stretch at the end of the season where they got red hot and Derrick Henry was rushing for like 150, 160 yards per game, Nate Davis was a big part of that, and he had really taken the next step. Uh, And this year that continued. He's been their best offensive lineman on the field at times, and that was when LaJuan was healthy. Um and I think he's really on a good trajectory right now for his career. He's a, a very strong player, uh, athletic enough to climb to the second level, and, and his pass protection has grown leaps and bounds. So he's a guy that's a, turned into a strength for them that was a massive weakness last year. Um, and then moving finally to right tackle, Dennis Kelly, we've already touched on him a little bit, has been dealing with a knee injury since the Steelers game. Uh, that's hampered him a little bit. He did get limited practice in today, which is actually more that more that he's done on a Wednesday uh, since the injury. So that seems like maybe he's trending towards health, which would help him. But he's a tall, long guy. I think he's six eight. Uh, you know, really long arms. He's not very athletic. So he's he's kind of you know he's not anywhere near as good as as Orlando Brown but he's kind of in that same style he he wants to push people past and use those those long levers to kind of protect the edge uh as opposed to uh quick feet so he's okay um he can be he can be beat though okay that's some great depth on the offensive line let's move on to some of the skill position players start with the wide receivers and obviously the ravens are familiar with some of these guys but go ahead and start with AJ Brown yeah AJ Brown is uh he's a stud he's now He's actually had a couple drops here in the last two weeks, which are extremely uncharacteristic for him. He's normally a very natural hands catcher, um, really good ball skills. You know, I, that I don't think it's a long-term issue. I just feel like there's just been a little bit of a concentration. He actually dropped one against the Colts that was uh, a guaranteed 70-yard touchdown. He had the, the corner beat, and he actually dropped it twice. He dropped it, bobbled it, t- tipped it back to himself, and dropped it again. So... Uh, that was that was disappointing. I know he's uh, beat himself over beat himself up over that, but really good player, really physical, extremely physical with the ball after the catch. Um, excellent ball skills. He he's he was a college center fielder, and it really shows in his ball tracking ability. Uh, he's able to to track the ball well on deep balls over his shoulder. Uh, he he's just a very natural wide receiver, and I think he's going to be a top you know, 10 to 15 guy for years to come here. Um, Corey Davis would be their number two. Uh, We've already touched on him a little bit. Really, his career has been more about inconsistency. Uh, He's big. He's got good size. He's 6'3", 215-ish. He can go up and get the ball. We've seen him do it before. But he just has – he does – he's more prone to concentration drops as opposed to Brown, who those those have – kind of been fluky in recent weeks. Um, but Davis is a little bit prone to concentration drops. He can be kind of erased by bigger, more physical corners. Um, he he does not – he likes to uh, to kind of use that big body to, to beat guys rather than separating with quickness. Um, so 
he's he's a guy that is really kind of a matchup guy. He's good on those digs across the middle of the field that the Titans love to run. And uh, and that's where they're going to try to attack uh, for the most part is going to be Brown, Davis on those crossing patterns and, and getting them the ball where they can run after the catch. They're both very good after the catch. So um, covering them is one thing, tackling them is another. Uh, and that's really kind of the theme for the Titans offense in general. Johnny Smith is the same way as the tight end, uh, you know, very athletic guy, extremely difficult after the catch. So it's a it's a tough group, uh, very physical group. Adam Humphreys, we'll see if he plays. If he does, he's really good against zone coverage, really good at finding those soft spots, extremely reliable hands. Uh, he's a he's a nice player, really good on third downs. They look for him on third downs. Um, and and being without him is really it's been painful the last few weeks for the Titans offense because. They, they really don't have anyone else that, that you have to be terribly worried about. Cleef Raymond has kind of disappeared uh, this year after having some really big plays uh, for the Titans last year. Is he next year. up in the slot? Yeah, he'll, he'll get some snaps in the slot, which, um, you know, he's okay with. He's really more of just a vertical receiver, though. He had some uh, moments in camp where it looked like maybe he was turning the corner as a route runner and stuff like that, but it just hasn't really stuck in the regular season. Um, he's been a little bit disappointing, I think, for them as, as their fourth wide receiver typically, and, and right now as their third. But he'll he'll get some snaps in the spot or in, in the slot if uh, Humphreys doesn't play. As will uh, Cameron Batson, who frankly Batson's played better um, recently. He's I think five seven, five eight. He's really you know one of those undersized, extremely fast, extremely shifty type guys, um, and another guy that's that's pretty tough after the catch. So. Um, Batson and Raymond will, will kind of be your complimentary guys, but this is very much a passing offense that'll flow through uh, Brown, Davis, and Smith. Okay. At, at running back, what's what's Henry's snap percentage been like this year? Um, I guess the snap percentage is, is probably slightly up. I think he's around uh, somewhere in the 60% range, um, which is a little bit up versus his entire career. But... Uh, the carries he's going to dominate. You know, he he's getting you know over twenty carries a game. He very much is their bell cow, and until recently, he had been really kind of the only guy ha- handling actual carries. You know, they would bring in Jerry Mc- Jeremy McNichols for some third down work, and and occasionally throw the ball to McNichols, but for the most part, it was all Derrick Henry. Now Deontay Foreman has played. A couple games for them now. I think this was his third game uh, with the Titans this past week against the Colts. And he's looked pretty good in kind of a backup role. So they've given him a little bit more opportunity. And they also designated their third round pick, uh, Darrington Evans, for return this week. It's unclear whether he'll actually be activated and play on Sunday. But if he is, he brings a totally different element to this, this offense. And we've barely seen him on the field. What we have seen has been pretty good, but I think he's got three carries on the season. So it's, it's not been a big sample size, but he, you can tell right off the bat, got extremely good burst, um, really explosive runner. So he's not a big guy. He's, he's kind of the, the lightning to Derrick Henry's thunder, if you want to put it that way, but that's how they envisioned him. And really there was reports coming out of camp that, that they thought he was going to be a major X factor for them. So the fact that he's been out with this hamstring issue for, really most of the season at this point has been disappointing for them. And I'm sure they're 
chomping at the bit to get him involved, especially with the offense kind of sputtering a little bit these past few weeks. All right. Uh, Henry, obviously the Ravens don't have good memories of him. And, and after a game of screaming at the TV set on Sunday night, you know, where defensive linemen couldn't hold their, their uh, ground against double teams, which you don't expect them to hold it forever, but they needed about an extra three-tenths of a second on some of those plays. Couldn't even get gaps set up with inside linebackers. They eventually had to go to some real sellout run blitzes to get the, the Patriots stopped at all. But, you know, the Patriots who are a good running team, I would say not a great running team, just ran all over them in some, in some bad weather. And the Ravens obviously you know, are going to go into this game with four active defensive linemen. I do not expect either Campbell or Williams to play. Their fifth offensive lineman's pro- defensive lineman, sorry, is going to have to come from the practice squad where they only have one player, a defensive wow. tackle out of North Carolina called Aaron Crawford. So that's all they got. That's, that's it. Uh, they got pretty decent edge setters, but uh, the inside linebackers you mentioned are young and, and probably will give uh, an opportunity, I would think, to the Titans both in, in the run game and in play action. So uh, it, it it really looks like an uphill struggle. And I looked to see the line today. I don't know if you, you caught it, but it's like six and a half. And I don't understand why. I was a little bit surprised by that myself. I mean, I the Titans haven't played well in recent weeks. And they've lost three or four. And, you know, they really got embarrassed in the second half against the Colts uh, Thursday night, which maybe that's that's kind of uh, coloring that a little bit. But I, I agree. I was surprised the line was as, as high as it was. I fully expected the Ravens to be favored at home, but uh, six and a half seems like a lot uh, considering the, the, the Titans aren't a bad football team. They, they're going through a rough stretch, but they're not, uh, they're not a bad football team. It's a little bit off the beaten path too, but home field advantage ain't what it used to be you know, in, yeah. in this in this year. And I've heard 0.4 and 1.4 tossed out there as potential home field advantage numbers anyway. It's nothing like the three points we always heard in, in past years. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, I do want to ask you some scheme questions before we do this. How yeah. much uh, 11 personnel do the Titans run as opposed to, uh, say, a 12 or 21 variant that they might like more? So they're about 44% uh, 11 personnel um, and they run and they, they really kind of mix it. So they, they'll, they'll do 11 personnel. They also like uh, 12, they like 21 um, and they'll, they'll even do some 13 in there too. So they, they really kind of run the gamut um, from a personnel package standpoint. Uh, they've got a fullback that they, they like in Kari Blasing game, who is a, a pretty good athlete, uh, will catch the ball out of the backfield if you if you ignore him um, there uh, and, and played college. He played college running back. So he, he's he's definitely got some ball skills and, and the ability to, to do some things if you uh, if you give them the opportunity, but they don't throw it to him much. Um, but as far as the tight ends go, it's. It's Jonu Smith, uh, and we'll see if Michael Pruitt plays. I didn't list him earlier when we were talking about injuries, but he's uh, he's been dealing with a knee issue, and is uh, he missed practice today, didn't play last week. If he doesn't play, Jeff Swain will take those blocking tight end uh, snaps for the Titans instead of Pruitt. Pruitt's a little bit better than Swain, but it's not a big drop-off there. And then, uh, of course, we already talked about Furzer, who uh, he, he is mostly a pass catcher, uh, you know, Smith, Johnny Smith is, is really their number one, but, but Ferkser will catch, uh, quite a bit of passes and, and he can, he can be a focal point of the passing attack if, if teams don't respect his ability and he's, he's a really good route runner. Do the Titans play a fair amount of 12 then, even though it may be a split standing tight end on third down? They do. Yeah, they will, they will, 
they will give a lot of 12 personnel looks on uh, on third down. So they'll, they'll really use uh, Anthony Furser as a kind of a big slot receiver uh, mm-hmm. in those situations. And, and a lot of times they like to do – they like to – make looks where they've got uh Johnny Smith split out wide and then a wide receiver in the, in the slot, uh, you know, and then they'll motion guys around, you know, getting, getting those man zone reads and things like that, but they'll, they will run things for Johnny Smith lined up as an X receiver. So their tight ends are pretty versatile in the passing game and they, they do use them frequently on third downs. Okay. It's just some fantastic depth on the offense. This is as good as, as we ever get. And I, I love the fact that, you know, the percentage of 11 personnel they played when I asked that question, that's just, It's the first time on the show that that's ever happened. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Let's skip over the defensive side for a second. Here's some of the, the the things. I'd like to set this up with a more general question to start with, which is what's the most common base defense look that they'll use? And, and we'll say against 21 and 12 personnel, which the Ravens did favor before they lost one of their most important players this last week. Uh, and also when it's a, a, a more obvious passing down and the other team's in 11 personnel, what do they go to? They got a dime or a dedicated nickel or what do they have? Yeah, so they... they- it depends on the opponent, really, because they very much will view different tight ends specifically as different. Like they, they, some of them, they'll treat like a wide receiver, mm-hmm. um, and then others they will treat as more of a traditional tight end, and they'll line up in their typical is is really base three four. That's their base against heavier sets. Uh, so twelve twenty one, they're generally going to be three down linemen two outside linebackers up on the line of scrimmage, and then your two inside linebackers off and, and your typical setup in the secondary. Sure. So that's kind of their their base against that look. Now, depending on what they think of your tight ends, and I think Mark Andrews would probably qualify as a guy that they view uh, as, as a pretty, pretty much a number one wide receiver for the Ravens, if not, you know, one or two uh, in the pecking order. And Last year in that matchup, they used Kevin Byard on him quite a bit in man-to-man. I don't know how much man they'll run again without Adoree Jackson if Adoree Jackson does not play again, which I, there's no reason to expect he will at this point. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they line up over him, but they do use a lot of three safety. So Amani Hooker will play, I think he's typically around 30% of snaps um, on the field, and Byard and Vaccaro never come off, basically. So... They will go to three safeties about 30% of the time. And Hooker's a good coverage player. When they do bring Hooker on, they drop Hooker deep and they let Byard roll up on a tight end and Vaccaro kind of play robber or really play as kind of a, a dime linebacker. Um, so that's that's really one of their preferred approaches. And that will that's that's an approach they'll use against teams that run 12, but one of the one of the tight ends is really more of a pass catcher. So sure. Um, that's that's one of the the looks that I think they'll use quite a bit in this game. Okay, so obviously a lot of the dime play is going to be down and distance dependent and lead dependent also mm-hmm. probably because they might go to the dime every snap at a certain point. But let's just make sure I'm getting this correct. They, they bring in a, a slot corner 
on such downs, but also have a dime backer. Who's who's the slot corner in this? Uh, the slot situation? corner will be Desmond King, who they just traded for. Sure, uh, of course, right at the trade deadline, um, and he played pretty well the first game. It, the, actually, the second game, it looked like he might have been swimming a little bit um, from a, a schematic standpoint. And I don't know if they dumbed down the scheme against the Bears a little bit to help him out, and then tried to ramp it back up against the Colts. But uh, yeah, he's he's going to be their slot guy, and of course he's. He's really more of his own uh, type of corner, very instinctive, good in run support. Um, you know, he, he's good at reading the quarterback's eyes, jumping passing lanes, that kind of thing. So he's he's a nice player, uh, certainly better than what they had been using in the slot uh, before um, he came along. Okay, so it looks very similar to what the Ravens have seen from their own defense last couple of weeks. Base 34 with four defensive backs against a lot of 12 and 21 on early downs, and then a dime package when down a distance or personnel dictate it. Yep. Okay. All right, terrific. Well, let's talk. spend some time talking about the, the, the guys who are actually there. I want to talk about rotation, depth, and snap management. On the defensive line in particular, uh, if there's any thinness or anything, let us know about that. Yeah, so it... It is um, on the de- on the defensive line, so it, it kind of depends on where, where you're classifying. I'm a, for these purposes. I'm going to classify Clowney and Landry really as outside linebackers for uh, their base defense. Of course, they play end and in, in nickel fronts and everything like that. But um, from a snap count standpoint, it is very very heavy. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons and uh, Daquan Jones, who are their starters, they're both very good. Uh, Daquan Jones on the season is about 64% uh, snap rate, but he also uh, missed a game in there, which is calculated in. So he's really kind of a 75% snap kind of guy. Uh, and then Simmons is uh, is even higher than him. Simmons almost never comes off the field unless he just has to. Um, so it's it's very much those two, when they go to their kind of second group, uh, that has been in recent weeks, uh, Larell Murchison, who is a fifth round rookie, and then Tyre Tart, who is an undrafted rookie. Tart has actually, it's, this is really kind of a commentary on the state of the Titans draft class right now. They've all been hurt, basically. Uh, but Tyre Tart has arguably, arguably been their best rookie so far. Uh, he's only played in two games, but he has made an impact in both of those games. Uh, he got a lot of pressure and, and blew up a couple run plays against the Bears. And then he got uh, got one pressure against the Colts and uh, batted a pass as well. So he's a guy that's kind of come on a little bit. He's a very heavy hands, uh, powerful kind of guy. Not not the quickest uh, athlete in the world, but he does uh, does bring some power to the table. And they've he's earned a little bit more of a look from them in recent weeks. Hmm. Interesting. I, I'm not aware of him even. That's great to get a little background. Uh, in terms of the edge, then, what does their rotation look like? Do they have a, a run and um, uh, passing down rotation of any sort that they're running there? Yeah, so um, it's funny. But coming into the season, there was a lot of criticism around uh, the Titans' usage of Harold Landry last year. A lot of people felt like he got kind of burnt out as the season went on. At one point, I think through 12 games, he had nine sacks. Uh, and then he got stuck on that number. I think he added one more in the playoffs eventually, but he never got to that 10 sack number when it seemed like it was a formality at one point last season. And even the Titans coaching staff uh, kind of admitted that they wanted to get his snap count down. 
Well, Harold Landry is at a 94% snap rate <laughs> right now uh, for the season. He never comes off the field ever. Uh, he's on all the time, and, and they haven't even really made an effort to get him off. Uh, so it's kind of been a bizarre situation. Now, Vic Beasley flaming out certainly plays into that. Uh, the fact that Derek Roberson, who is kind of their third outside linebacker now, was injured and out for the early part of the season factors into that. Uh, and Clowney's really the same way. Clowney has played the vast majority of snaps. I think he's over 80% uh, as far as his snap count for the season. So those guys almost never come off the field. They are stapled into the formation. Now, Clowney on passing downs will move around a lot. So it, and they'll move him around on early downs a little bit too, but he uh, they like to line him up over the interior on passing downs and then bring Roberson in as the uh, second edge rusher across from Landry. So it'll be on third most third downs, third and you know medium, third and long. They're going to have Landry and Roberson outside, and then Simmons and Clowney on the inside. With the Ravens' reliance on the run game, one of the questions I was really asking was, do they have guys they rely on to set the edge? that they can't really get off the field because they're they're also their best pass rushers. The Ravens have some of that issue right now, I would say. Or man, it's probably a little bit more of a serious concern before Ngakwe got here because Ngakwe is a pure pass rusher. But I, I'm wondering who who is is the guy that they can't leave find a, find opportunities to get him off the field because he's too good an edge setter and too good a pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, frankly, the, the answer is both on that. Um, you know, both Landry and Clowney are their best best run defender and their best uh, pass rushers at those positions. Um, Roberson has flashed in the past. He was an undrafted guy last year, um, came on, had, uh, I think, three sacks in two games at the end of the season, finally kind of working his way onto the field at the end of last year. Um, he's got some ability. He's a very good athlete, but he's not a very good run defender. They will not put him on the field for rundown. So if you're going to get somebody coming on for a pass down, it'll be Roberson. Beyond that, they just they don't have anybody else. I mean, they've got practice squad guys, uh, Wyatt Ray and Tuzar Skipper, uh, who I'm guessing they'll call up one of them uh, for rotational purposes. But Wyatt Ray was active last week and he barely played. So uh, it's going to be a lot of Landry and a lot of Clowney. And they frankly, they can't get them off the field because they don't have anybody else at this point. Gotcha. All right. I, just as an armchair GM, I want to get your opinion on this. Is Do you think it makes sense at outside linebacker? I really believe it does make sense at inside linebacker. But the question is really more at outside linebacker. To have platoon players who you have a good pass rusher and you have a good edge setter and you can maybe have four outside linebackers or even five on your team if you want to rotate through those guys. An inside linebacker, I think, you know, we've already, all teams or most teams have come to the understanding that having a dimebacker is a good thing, but also just just otherwise having platoon players puts you at much less injury risk and much less total contract value because you're not trying to sign and draft unicorns. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you're right there. And I think the Titans tried to do that to some degree. Like they, they signed Beasley and then they went and got Clowney, which I, I initially thought, all right, well, Clowney is going to take some of the run, run defense stuff and let Beasley just be a third down pass rusher, which basically is what happened. Uh, but Clowney still bumps inside. So they still use Clowney all the time. It's just, they move him inside versus on the edge. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it certainly makes sense to me that, you would need different guys for different situations and asking, you know, the same guy that needs to be able to turn and cover, uh, you know, a, a four, four 
guy in, in chasing through the middle of the field on a crosser does not necessarily need to be the same guy that's shock and shedding guards uh, on the early down. And that finding that guy, that unicorn, as, as you mentioned, is, uh, is very difficult. And, you know, I, I think using, especially now that the rosters are a little bit bigger, using those extra roster spots to have more of those platoon situations makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that, that's that's a great point. And then even this year with the extra uh, call-ups included, mm-hmm. and I forget if that's being continued or not. I, I keep getting this information and forgetting it. But uh, those extra call-ups give you some wonderful game planning type spots to use if you have decent depth on your on your practice squad. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's let's talk a little bit about the the remaining linebackers. So I think we're talking about the inside linebackers at this point, and then take us through the secondary, and we'll uh, we'll get to the end of the end of the road here. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, the primary two linebackers for the Titans are, are Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown. Rashawn Evans is more of the uh, downhill run thumper uh, sideline to sideline guy. Um, frankly, he's been disappointing to me. Uh, he seems hesitant. They, the Titans defense as a whole went through a lot of change uh, in the off season. Dean Pease retired. Uh, they had their uh, secondary coach, Kerry Combs, uh, leave for Ohio State to become the defensive coordinator. They got rid of their inside linebackers coach, Tyrone McKenzie, uh, and they replaced him with Jim Hazlitt. Uh, so there was a lot of change on that side of the ball, and it seems to me like the players are not responding well to that change at this point. And it's really been a strange deal because guys that we have seen play at a really high level before here are now hesitant. They're not getting to the spots that they need to be. They just don't, they look tentative uh, is, is really the best way I can describe this Titans defense as a whole, which is obviously not what you want to describe a defense as. Uh, so Evans has been a little bit of a disappointment. A lot of people thought he was kind of poised to turn into one of the top linebackers in the game. Obviously he was a first round pick uh, three years ago. So this is the, the time when you expect him to kind of elevate to that level. Um, and he just hadn't done it. It's it's he's not very he's not very impactful. He's not making big plays. I think they're actually going to start using him more as a rush linebacker, uh, especially on passing downs, versus asking him to drop into coverage where he's terrible. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that because that's that's actually a comment that just came out this week was that they're going to be looking to rush him a little bit more versus dropping him back. Now, Jayon Brown is their coverage linebacker, and when he's on, he's, he's one of the best in the game at, at coverage, just matching up and, and covering tight ends, running backs, that kind of thing. He's great at sniffing out screens. Uh, good instincts, good athlete, really has a knack for getting his hand on the ball. I think against the Steelers, he had four, uh, four pass breakups and an interception. So he's, he's a really good uh, coverage player, but – he struggles He struggles in the run game, and again, he's been a little bit tentative this year, uh, especially in you know certain matchups. It seems like he just doesn't quite trust his eyes and, and whatever keys they're giving him to read. Uh, How do those two linebackers do with play action? You know, they, they've struggled. Uh, you know, the Titans' defense, frankly, has struggled against everything. <laughs> uh, you know, they're not, I guess, one of the, the worst in the league, but they can't get off the field on third downs. I think they're, they finally moved up to 31st uh, in the league in third down defense. Uh, wow. I think they're right around 54% uh, conversion rate allowed uh, on the season. And, and for a while it was above 60, so that's actually a big improvement over the last two weeks. Uh, but they're, they're just 
they give up these 15 play drives that are just soul sucking that, that it's just five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards down the field. And they do a fairly good job of limiting explosive plays, but that's because they're sitting in off coverage and willing to let teams just cut them to death with a million paper cuts. And mm-hmm. it's infuriating to watch sometimes because you're just, you're sitting there and it's like, it, in my mind, I always, a defense should be aggressive, go be aggressive, go attack. Uh, and they do not do that. They just sit back and, and they're wanting to wait and wait for somebody to make a mistake. It seems to be the strategy, which has not worked out for them. A couple questions about that specifically, because I think a lot of people thought that about Dean Pease in general is that he did not take enough defensive risk to generate the plays you need to to get off the field. I mean, obviously, the, the entire way offense is set up now, the increased reliance on analytics and the, the willingness to go for it on fourth down uh, makes series success rates higher than they've ever really been before. And it's more important than ever for defenses to take gambles, to create splash plays that actually break up drives, whether that's penalties, sacks, whatever it might be. So the, one, that was one of the problems with Pease in Baltimore. They've got a much more aggressive defensive coordinator now. You, you mentioned Dean Pease is gone now, and I, I, I knew that. But one of the reasons he went to Tennessee, I thought, was to get his son involved and moved up in the hierarchy. What's happened with that? Yeah, so his son um, was on the staff here, uh, and he, uh, I believe it was a quality, quality control assistant, uh, something like that. Uh, and he has now gone back to coaching high school ball. I think he went to, hmm. I think he's in Ohio now, uh, head coach um, for a, a high school football team there. So. He didn't end up sticking around in Tennessee. Um, I don't know if uh, if there if that was uh, you know some sort of disagreement within the the Titans coaching staff that he didn't end up sticking around. But um, I know Pease is still very fond of of Rabel. He went on a podcast recently and had some pretty uh, enlightening things to say about uh, kind of the, his his uh, philosophy on defense and, and kind of how. Uh, the Titans run thing and how, how Vrabel's uh, coaching style uh, kind of meshed with him. And he was, he was very complimentary of Vrabel. So it doesn't seem like there's any bad blood there, but for whatever reason, it just did not work out with uh, Matt Pease here. I'm, I'm glad to hear that about Dean. Uh, I do want to bring up one point and this is from my distant past. I asked Dean a question about the dime defense and they basically had not played any of it in his first five years in Baltimore. The Ravens otherwise have always been a very successful dime team, always able to get those guys. And it also goes to the platooning nature of the role is it's a great organizational decision to do it if you can, because it's, it's very cheap to find a third safety who's a better cover guy than your second best inside linebacker. All right. But he didn't like the question at all. And, and I wondered when he went to Tennessee, did he really uh, go to a dime defense more or less? Did he, did he play dime in these years? I guess what, two years he spent right with the Titans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did last year. So he didn't in his first season with the Titans. I think that may have been more of a personnel thing than anything. They uh, drafted a Monty hooker in the second or not second round, the uh, fourth round. Uh, of the 2019 draft and hooker kind of hit the ground running. They, they like him quite a bit. Uh, and he kind of pushed his way into a role. I felt like uh, last year. So he almost kind of forced his hand into some dime. Uh, and that may have been, you know, Brable's influence a little bit as well. But uh, yeah, he, uh, he did start to incorporate some dime and Brable seems to have kind of picked that up and continue to run with it. 
Interesting. Okay, first five years in Baltimore, 3% dime snaps that entire five-year period. Just unbelievable, wow. frankly, they would do that. The, the Ravens last year, 42.2% dime and quarter. So wow. Uh, wow. things have changed. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. All right, wonderful. Let's see, let's see uh, cornerbacks real quick. Yeah, so Malcolm Butler is is kind of the staple there. Uh, he's going to play. They, they actually started to travel him a little bit, um, which is, again, something that Pease pretty much refused to do. Follow, uh, you mean? Well, he, Follow well, receiver? He, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so they they, uh, they have sent him, they had him shadow uh, Chase Claypool. Uh, and then kind of strangely, I thought, they had him shadow A.J. Green. And I'm like, do you guys think it's 2016 or <laughs> what is happening here? Because I thought T. Higgins was pretty clearly the bigger threat uh, between those two. And and for some reason, they put their best corner on uh, Green. And Butler did a great job on Green. But uh, unfortunately, all the other receivers kind of feasted on the Titans secondary. Um, so and then they also had him. Uh, they had him travel with Allen Robinson against the Bears. Now, they didn't have him. Uh, follow any receivers for the Colts last week. And I don't know if that's a little bit of a confidence in Breon Borders, who is currently the guy playing opposite him. They, he's He was kind of thrust into that role after they, they tried Jonathan Joseph, who is 36 years old, can't run anymore, you know, played mm-hmm. 10 yards off the receiver and just refused to get beat deep because he knew he couldn't turn and run. Uh, and they finally moved on from that. They bringing borders off of the practice squad who, you know, he's a UDFA guy has bounced around the league for, you know, I think this is fourth season and he's, he had one career start before uh, two weeks ago and now he has three, Uh, but he's actually played pretty well. He's not a terribly fast guy, but he is physical. He does come up and tackle well. uh, And he's at least shown enough fight to get in and contest passes and make it difficult uh, for opposing defenses or opposing offenses to uh, complete passes on him. So Borders has actually been a, a little bit of a pleasant surprise, though I do worry about him if he gets matched up with speed. Okay, interesting. You mentioned Vicaro and Bayard, all the snaps on the back end. Bayard still as dominant a player as he has been? And he's a, I think he's had a really down year, honestly. He he's, mm-hmm. doesn't have any interceptions. He had one forced fumble in the Broncos game in the opener. Uh, but besides that, I, I mean, I honestly can't remember a play that he's really made that stood out to me and, and, you know, made me go, oh, wow, yeah, there's Kevin Byard. He's kind of been invisible, and it's hard to tell whether he is trying to compensate for some of the personnel that they've had to put in the secondary around him. Obviously, trying to cover for Dory Jackson's absence has been a nightmare, I think, for this defense. And I don't know if Byard is – trying is trying to do too much I, I feel like I kind of feel like that's the case he's trying to do too much uh you know to to kind of negate that absence or to cover for this guy or to you know he's trying to be the glue that holds it all together rather than just doing it doing his job uh and I think that's made him less effective at his job frankly he's missed some tackles that he should make he's taken some bad angles he hasn't been as good in run support um, it's been a bad year for him, I, and there's just really no other way to put it. Um, he's still a talented guy. He's still a very smart guy. I think his relationship with Dean Pease and Pease no longer being there is a big factor because hmm. Byard spoke glowingly of Pease his entire time. And, of course, Byard started his career under Dick LeBeau, then went to Dean Pease, and now you know Shane Bowen, the Titans' outside linebackers coach, is calling the defense. So as far as experience and just the, the knowledge level – 
it's a huge drop off from what he's used to. Um, and Byard used to always talk about Dean Pease's tip sheets and, and that he would give him a tip sheet that said, you know, if the right tackle has his foot back, this, you know, it's going to be a pass. So you can look at that and, and, you know, pick that up and, and kind of react and, and give him that extra step. You know, Byard's not the best athlete in the world, but he plays with anticipation. He's really good at reading things out and, and being ahead of it. And I think Pease had a lot to do with that, honestly. Um, so I think him kind of having that support system stripped away has kind of taken some of his superpowers away. Uh, nice. and, and he's not, not performing at the level that we're used to seeing this year. Is he playing largely as a center fielder this year, or is he all over the place in terms of line of scrimmage, wherever he needs to be? He's all over the place, yeah. So when Hooker comes in, uh, Bayard usually moves up. So Hooker plays a lot of the deep deep middle uh, kind of stuff when, when they go to three safety looks. And when, when they are in two safety, you know, more traditional defenses, Bayard and Vaccaro will really kind of be interchangeable. They'll, they'll drop either guy um they they like to kind of keep Mix offenses guessing about who's rolling down who's rolling back who's going to pop up where they try to disguise coverages they just haven't frankly done a very good job of it this year yeah i mean what what started the beginning of the end for the ravens in the playoffs last year was the tip ball by andrews that that floated off to bayard and you know some of the old fine 20 on every play i've really felt about kevin bayard over the years because he's been very effective against the ravens is just you got to figure out where he is and basically maybe try and not throw in his direction. Because if you have an overthrow or a tip or any of the things that can go wrong on a pass, he's probably going to be back there in a position to handle it. And I, I, you know, he's one of the great interceptors in the history of the game, even through five years of his career. Yeah, and, and he still, I think, has that ability. And I think part of the problem that's limiting him, again, is this non-aggressive defense. They, they, st- they sit their corners so far off of the receivers and, and they – frankly, just don't do a good job. They don't get their hands on guys at the line of scrimmage. They don't disrupt timing. They don't push guys off of their lines. They, they, don't, they don't do anything to make it difficult to complete underneath passes. So what we've seen is seven of the nine quarterbacks that have played, him, played them have been way under their season-long average yards per uh, – or not yards per – Completed their average, yards. Uh, time from snap to throw. So – in last week, Philip Rivers, I think, was at 2.1 seconds, which uh, his season-long <laughs> average is 2.35. Roethlisberger was almost under two. These teams are more than happy to take these underneath easy throws and take the six or seven yards, and they're just chunking them down the field, and the Titans have refused to mix it up. They refuse to press up and, and really kind of make things difficult, and it seems like they're just so afraid that they're going to get beat deep that it's crippling them. And, and for, you know, obviously if you're not getting teams throwing deep, you're not getting buyered opportunities to go make plays. So uh, right now they're kind of funneling teams right into their weakness. And I just don't understand it at all. It's been a, it's been a baffling season. As you can probably tell by, by my voice, it's been a baffling season on the Titans defense. And, and there's a lot of questions out there. Yeah. Tough season for everybody in 2020. A lot of things changing. Uh, would you like to take you, I would like you to take one player you think matches up well against the Ravens, and I'm going to take three guys off the table since they're fairly obvious calls. Tannehill, who I think will be great in play action. Uh, Henry, who I expect to get the ball a ton and be very effective. And A.J. Brown. But who else, either offensively or defensively, would be the guy you think matches up well against the Ravens? Yeah, so I think one of the matchups, and, and it's going to be very interesting to see, right? Because as we mentioned, Orlando Brown uh, and kind of his reach and his ability to push guys past, 
you know, he's he's a huge human being. Harold Landry is is six two and, and loves to do that kind of what uh, Coach uh, Dave McGinnis, uh, the Titans color guy, likes to call his motorcycle lean. So Landry loves the move, you know, the the little uh, dip and rip around the edge. And against taller guys, he tends to have a little bit more success just because he can get under them and he can get a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's tougher for those longer guys to get down and, and kind of get a good you know, blow on Landry as he's kind of ducking his head and trying to get in a, you know, it looks like he's trying to, you know, scoot under a fence or something like that as, as he goes around the corner. So um, that's one where I think the Titans could have some success. Um, and then obviously, you know, you mentioned the right tackle situation. Sounds like that's, that's going to be, you know, a, a pretty inexperienced guy and he's going to see a lot of Jadevian Clowney. So I think the Titans have a chance, you know, in, in, you know, any Titans fan listening to this will probably be screaming at their uh, uh, whatever device they're listening on uh, at me if we're predicting any success for the Titans pass rush. But I think this could be a game where the Titans could have some success beating those tackles. Now, the question is whether or not they can actually get Lamar on the ground, though. Okay. All right. Excellent stuff. James Harrison, obviously a, a reminiscent of what you're describing with Landry in terms of getting small on the edge versus some very big offensive tackles. But uh, it's a great show, Mike. I appreciate you coming and taking the extra time with us, really going through this in great detail. Always a terrific conversation. Let's talk again where people can find your work. Any other plugs you'd like to make? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, broadwaysportsmedia.com is the website. We've got all sorts of tape review uh, you know, good stuff like that, all sorts of analysis going over anything Titans related. We got it there. Uh, and then on Twitter, uh, at Mike miracles, uh, follow me. I, I try to, uh, try to mix in some general NFL, uh, not just Titan stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, mostly, and then a uh, podcast at football and other F words. Uh, you can find that <laughs> on Twitter at, uh, F words pod. Uh, we do try to have some fun there. So that's great. How many, how many shows per week do you do with that? We, we just do one a week uh, with that, but uh, but we try to make them around an hour long and, uh, and and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that does that does sound good. That's the that's the right length for an unfettered good football discussion where you don't feel like you're jammed into a single segment on the radio and you have eight minutes or whatever. It's just it's not as fun, not as much fun anyway. Exactly. Uh, Really appreciate you joining me, uh, Mike. Hopefully people go out, look at filmstudybaltimore.com. The articles are both up this week. Defensive review versus the Patriots, the offensive line scoring. Obviously big changes there. Patrick McCary, Ben Powers with scores this week, both played pretty well. Uh, I know people want to take a look at that. And we'll have the By the Numbers podcast out tomorrow night, uh, which you can take a look at as well with, with Dan Reese. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.